Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 134, the long-anticipated Women's World Cup preview. Yep, well, the competition's already started. Uh, We've already had five matches. Uh, Switzerland beat the Philippines 2-0. Nigeria and Canada drew 1-1. But what was more interesting, bigger, was that Australia hosts, co-hosts, beat the Republic of Ireland 1-0. New Zealand got their first ever World Cup victory, men's or women's side, at the World Cup by beating what's supposed to be a pretty strong Norway team. Uh, They beat them 1-0. And Spain were utterly dominant against Costa Rica, recording something like 45 shots, only scoring three times, but they were very good. So... I'm not going to go through each and every team, each and every uh, storyline, because you know what? The thing about the Women's World Cup that's actually really cool is there are so many so many interesting narratives and backstories for a lot of these players. For instance, the Philippines, a lot of their squad is actually born, raised, based in the United States, and they just have you know Filipino heritage. And what I love about this, and because you'll see and hear about this a lot with certain teams where you're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, they had really built up women's soccer at this point. I maybe wouldn't have anticipated that. And the reason why is, you know, that they really haven't necessarily built up a strong uh, domestic league or they don't have like, you know, an academy system that's roaring. It's not like, you know, Western Europe and the United States. Instead, there are plenty of players who, yeah, their families moved. They, their families came to the United States, and the players got an upbringing here in America. They played girls' soccer, which is pretty competitive. And if they got good, then you know they got to a high level. Some of them are playing for D1 colleges right now. Some of them are playing in the professionals, like in the NWSL or somewhere in Europe. And if they don't have a pathway to the U.S. women's national team, but they do have this other citizenship, can they use that to actually, you know, support, you know, help a, a federation get more on its feet because you've got better players. And this has been happening for a while. I think Allie Riley is a very, very good example. She's, uh, I think, born and raised in California but has New Zealand heritage and has been a Kiwi forever. And so the coolest thing was seeing her lead the team out in the opening game of the tournament. She was beaming, the smile. I mean, everything about her just seemed so excited. And it translated well, New Zealand getting their first victory. And she really said she she feels like a Kiwi. And when you listen to her speak, you hear an American accent, right? But this is one of the cool things that you see a lot in the women's game is a lot of these players who got their soccer education in the land of soccer in the United States and then went out into the world of football and went to go support it. If you catch my drift there and know what I mean. So the, the tournament's great. I think the biggest issue, obviously, for any of us watching is just the uh, time issues, right? The uh, The United States will be playing their first two matches at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So that would be 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And actually, that is kind of ideal. That is a fantastic time slot for the United States. It could have been, you know, I'm going to try and watch France play. Uh, their, their fixtures, I think, are 4 and 5 a.m., um, like two at four and one at five. So, and England play in the middle of the night. So, there's a lot of games that are really in the middle of the night. And so, you know, what do you do with your sleep schedule? Do you record games and hope not to have them spoiled for yourself later? It's going to be an interesting thing. This brings me back to 2002 when the World Cup was in Korea and Japan. I was 16 and I was just like 16, 17, and I was just 
struggling every day because I was up all night. I was up all night watching games, and then I had to, like, you know, do stuff during the day at least. You know, it was summertime, so I had to have – I think I had, like, a part-time job, and um, I was also playing and with my team in, turn, in a tournament or two. And so I remember driving to one of my games and just being, like, so sleepy. So that's going to be the next few weeks for everybody. But it's going to be really exciting. Um, so far, the games have not been great. Spain put on a bit of a show. They could have beaten Costa Rica by, I mean, even double digits, the way that they were um, just pounding them with shots. Like I said, it was over 40 shots, uh, only 3-0. But it was 3-0 in about 25 minutes. So not that Spain took their feet off the gas. I think they really kept playing the whole way through. It's just the goals weren't really coming, but also... I think when you, I've played in games like that where you very early you get a lead and you realize you're going to clobber a team and there's not really any danger of losing the game, but you have to just keep going. But for some reason, the ball doesn't go in, partly because, I mean, at times Costa Rica were defending with nine or ten players inside the penalty area. So there's not much, there's not as much space as there would be against a team who's going to actually attack them. Uh, but Costa Rica, look, a couple times they went on the break and showed that Spain can be vulnerable when they go too far forward. Spain are a hell of a team, though. Aitana Bonmati is my favorite player in there. She's number six. Keep an eye on her. She scored a, a fantastic goal in the game. So far, best goal of the tournament. Not a whole lot to compete with, but but she, you know, she she has been uh, one of my favorite players to watch in the women's game for some time from the uh, Barcelona team that has been dominating football recently in the European game. And, you know, going over some of the other matches, uh, Switzerland against uh, the Philippines, I thought the Philippines showed up pretty well. Switzerland did, in the end, kind of underline that they are a quality side, and they'll be tough for anybody. Uh, Even the big teams will have to really earn a victory against Switzerland. The problem for Switzerland is they don't look like they're going to score very many goals. Um, So they could be a thorn in the side of some teams. I don't think they're going to go too far in the tournament. They will get out of their group, I imagine, but we'll see. Uh, Norway, I, I don't know what to say uh, because they won the World Cup in 1995 and they were fantastic. And, and over the time, they've they've had good teams and good players. But then they had World Player of the Year for two, three years, Ada Hegeberg. She, Ada, she was the uh, Ballon d'Or winner multiple times, you know, tearing it apart in Ligue 1 Féminine for, um, for Lyon. And, you know, she skipped the last World Cup due to disagreements with the Norwegian Federation on the way the team was structured and, and sort of, you know, how they were supported and funded and things like that. And look, these are the kinds of things I, I'm going to get into the the sort of protest side of it in a second, because I think there's a benefit to that. And I think there's also a major downside. But she missed the World Cup when she was really in her prime. Then she tore ACL uh, and was able to come back and came back for the Euros. But Norway were dreadful at the Euros. To everybody on the outside, it pretty much looked like, okay, this coach has not motivated the team well. They don't look ready to go. And they were beaten 8-0 by England in their second group stage match and, and, and just embarrassed. And so you sort of wondered, has this team taken like a major hit? Well, they changed the manager. So you kind of figured, okay, someone new comes in. It's Egerisa, who was actually on the 1995 team. I think she was captain of that team. Uh, so, you know, you've got someone who's been there, done it, who's going to come in. And Norway did not even look that bothered about the fact that they were not playing well against New Zealand, about the fact that they were losing to New Zealand, a team who had never won in the World Cup before. And it just didn't seem 
to flow in any way for Norway. And I'm just struggling to understand how they can struggle so much. Now, real quick detour, because I do want to talk about this Ada Hagerberg um, strike that she went on. And there are many players, so uh, this ties into Spain as well. They have quite a few players who are not here, Mapi Leon uh, being one of the major major notable ones, but there's a bunch of others. Uh, top, top players, players who start for Barcelona, Real Madrid, who are not there because there, apparently there was a letter written by, written and signed by 15 players demanding better uh, conditions, and if that those conditions were not met and those demands were not met, then they asked to not be selected to the team. Turns out the federation actually was like, all right, fine, uh, no, and if you want to come back, you have to apologize. So... Look, I don't know how these discussions really took place. A lot of this stuff happens behind closed doors, not right out in the open. Bon Mati is one of the players who decided to come back, and I'm I am personally grateful for that. Now, I think it's important to take a stand when when you need to, and I think some of these uh, women's federations they really don't get the support they should, and they have plenty of reason to go on strike in certain situations. The only problem is. A strike really works uh, for only if there are a couple things in your favor, right? One, a lot of attention is already on you. And so if you strike, people are going to absolutely notice you're gone and it's going to cause some kind of debate, uproar, whatever. But if you don't have a huge name behind you, and a lot of these Spanish players, they're not known well enough worldwide, for instance, for sponsors to say be worried about what Spain's uh, going to do, right? If all of a sudden the U.S., you know, if, you know, the big names, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, right? Like if 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 those two, Julia, if, if some, the big, big names from the U.S. team just went on strike for the World Cup, you would think resolving the issue would be paramount for U.S. soccer, right? But for some of these other federations, they're like, look, you don't want to be there. Someone else will take your spot. We don't have to budge because you don't have enough leverage. And I think it's very important for when these women go on strike, and a lot of the, I really do support their desire to do so. I support what they're fighting for. I just think sometimes they've got to really make sure they know that it's going to be impactful. And so with Spain, you know, we haven't seen them with their full-strength squad at any major tournament yet, either because of injury or because of this situation. And... You know, this is a team who, if they were to win the World Cup with their best squad and put themselves on the map, you feel like then they could really turn to their federation and say, okay, look, we've done this. We've proved something. Now we want assurances. We want things to change. If you think about the U.S. women's national team, they did this equal pay lawsuit and fought it out, but they kept playing. And it was in 2019, after they won the World Cup in France, in Lyon, in the stadium, there were fans right after the World Cup was won, like not long after the final whistle. Chans were screaming equal pay. They were making the equal pay chance. So that's how you get people on board. You win, and then everyone's like, see, pay them, right? They deserve it. It's a little bit more difficult when you know people don't know who you are. And if commentators are saying, well, this player, this player, this player is missing because they you know didn't feel like things were up to, up to par – If you don't know who they are, then you sort of lose touch with – you never were really in touch with what they were fighting for. So I think it's a very delicate line, and I hope that uh, a lot of these these players there, you know, they make decisions that really 
that, that carry things in the right direction versus just unfortunately losing an opportunity. And I think Ada Hegerberg, she was like the only Norwegian player that did not go to the World Cup in 2019. And Denmark, they looked all right. Even without her, they looked okay, but they were nowhere near as good. And this is where, you know, I kind of have, like, I wish she had been there because it was in her prime. Had she gone and made a splash at the World Cup, then, you know, more people would have known who she was. And then all of a sudden her voice gets even louder and the impact of the things she wants to change may be greater. So for anyone thinking about negotiating uh, some kind or doing this, going on strike, trying to negotiate something, think a little bit about your leverage, because if you don't have enough, um, it can be really difficult. Another team that went on strike earlier this year were, uh, was France because they couldn't stand their manager, Corinne Diacre, who I completely support the players in that. She sounded awful from so many of the accounts, things that she said, the way she ran the team. She would strip players of a captaincy just you know because they didn't play very well. It was a lot of things that, um, that players really disagreed with and, and didn't like. And eventually, more than half the team said, look, if she's the coach, I ain't going. And then there was a shakeup in the French Federation where the head of the French Federation for both the men and the women's sides, he actually was forced to step down. And that meant Corinne Diac went. And then Hervé Renard, the man who led Zambia, uh, the men's Zambia team, the men's uh, Côte d'Ivoire team, uh, both to African Nations Cup wins and also led Saudi Arabia to a 2022 World Cup opening win over Argentina, for all of you that remember that. So that guy, the coach with the really tight white shirts and the flowing hair, he is the coach for the women's national team of France this time around, uh, having been put in place not long ago. And look, from the looks of it, the players are on side, they're excited, and so this could be a very, very decent France team. Uh, I say decent because... They're unbelievably talented. Now, can he stitch them together and get them playing dominant stuff? Obviously, England are another favorite. They've had a lot of injuries, but their squad is very, very good. So it's more for England. Can Once they get to the knockout rounds, how good can they be? They've got Denmark, Haiti, and China in their group. So shouldn't be uh, really any problems in the group stage for them. Another team is Germany that I wanted to mention real quick just because as as one of the other sort of possible favorites. Germany were excellent at the Euros. The only reason why I don't think they were really able to trouble England too much in the final was because Alexander Pop was injured. And she carried the team. I mean, she, she single-handedly essentially beat France um, and scoring two great goals. And, and she is a big, big game player. So if she is around the whole tournament... Keep an eye out for Germany. I know that they, you know, they they haven't won in a long time, but this is a team that has plenty of good players. And if Alexander Pop is around, I mean, she's Cristiano Ronaldo style dangerous in the box. So those are teams that I think could win, you know, really win the whole thing. That's obviously United States included. Now, with the United States, I just want to mention Sophia Smith, Lindsey Horan. Uh, these are the two. I believe the only two, but the two Colorado girls. I think Sophia Smith is prepped to have a breakout tournament. Um, the United States have a big target on their back. Uh, not totally helped by that commercial uh, series, uh, the world against the world versus the U.S., basically. And if you haven't seen the commercial, you have to go watch it. Uh, just type in Women's World Cup, U.S. versus the world. Uh, watch the extended version. It's funny. You know, it's, it's cool. It's good, whatever. But it is... Uh, 
yeah, it's quite confident. And uh, it, de- it definitely puts a target on your back. But I think the United States team is so comfortable with that idea that, frankly, they're like, look, if we piss off everybody else and they raise their game, then that's good for the women's game. And I hope that is sort of their their mentality, not like we're unbeatable, no one can touch us. Because they, they should know very well there will be some difficult competition for them at this tournament. It's going to be interesting to see what Vlado, Vladko Andonovsky does with uh, team selection, who he starts, when. Right, you got Alyssa Thompson, you got, I mean, she's 18 years old, right? And then you've got Tiff, uh, Trinity Rodman, who's been fantastic. Uh, Alex Morgan, Sophia Smith. It, it, it's um, it's a loaded team. What do they do in the midfield? I guess uh, at the moment, Rose Lavelle and Megan Rapinoe are sort of being brought back to fitness. But Julie Ertz is back, which is very surprising. But she will help the team a lot. It's, it's going to be a really, really interesting uh, team to pay attention to. And you know what? Their group actually has... Some interesting teams. First of all, Vietnam, who I know everyone kind of looked at that and went, oh, no, is this going to be like Thailand in 2019 when they went 13-0 in their opening match? And we hope not. It could be. Uh, Vietnam do have some decent players, players that are, again, based in the United States. But big question is, if the United States open up the floodgates, can Vietnam stop it or is it just going to turn into a, a landslide? The other two teams in the group are the Netherlands, who, despite making it to the final... Uh, well, actually, winning the Euros with Serena Wiegmann in 2016 and then uh, making it to the final of the World Cup in 2019, only to lose to the United States. They were re- – Serena Wiegmann left, took over the England job, obviously. They have not been very good since. They disappointed at the Euros. So it'll be interesting to see if they can come back. Their best scorer, Vivian Miedema, out with a knee injury – as many players are, and, you know, it's just a difficult part about the women's game. They're so so susceptible to ACL tears that, you know, the timing sometimes just goes absolutely wrong. Like Alexi Puteas missing the Euros like one week before the Euros were going to start, she tore her ACL. So it's, uh, you know, hopefully no one gets severely injured during this tournament. Everyone gets to go through it as they can. But Holland, the Netherlands are just, I think um, – They've got a good starting 11. It's going to be very interesting to see if they can bring anything off the bench, anyone that's going to really be able to shake things up. The Actually, the team that I'm most excited for in this group is Portugal, and I saw them at the Euros. They actually played probably the match of the Euros against the Netherlands. It was a 3-2 victory for the Netherlands. Uh, Daniel van der Donk scoring an absolute banger uh, to make it 3-2. But Portugal, my goodness. Uh, they have a whole team of players who are highly technical, they like Jessica Silva up top. She's she's just a monster. She's just so intense, and she has fantastic, just technical ability, but also desire. And I think that's one of the things about Portugal. On the men's side, you see the same thing: technical quality, but there's that that ability to to be a little bit nasty, to dig, to play with high intensity. And these Portuguese women are really fun to watch. So that's going to be a great little battle to see who finishes second in that group. Um, moving on to a couple other, just a couple other matchups. I want to mention France and Brazil are in the same group. That's big. That's going to be really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, overall, look, this world cup is going to have a lot of surprises because there's a lot of unknown teams. I think there's seven teams that are in their opening, their first ever world cup. So this is really, really cool. There's a, it's a great opportunity for a lot of them. The main thing that I think. What's going to be really interesting are the viewing figures. 
uh, and I, I hope that all countries are doing what they can to help this, uh, whether, you know, and I've heard of a lot of bars in the United States who are sort of opening up the hours, you know, so you can be there until three, four in the morning, five in the morning, if you have to, uh, you know, they're extend, they're making sort of more family zones where kids can come around seven, eight, nine o'clock. And it's not like they're in like just a bar, you know? Uh, so uh, there's some really cool things going on that I've heard about in the United States and, um, and also in Europe, but it's this is the biggest World Cup ever for the women in terms of the amount of teams. And unfortunately, due to the fact that the United States and Europe are the two sort of largest audiences and games are being played at sort of difficult times for that, viewing figures may be a little bit lower than maybe people a lot of maybe a lot of people may expect. But I think what we're gonna see is an explosion on social media channels. I think this is going to be far and away the most covered World Cup from uh, Women's World Cup from the perspective of YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, um, just overall the social media platforms because if people aren't able to watch the games in the middle of the night, they're going to want as much content surrounding it as possible. And so there's going to be really cool stuff coming out. I hope that because of this, that there's a little bit of creativity in the way this entire tournament and month is captured. And what are the stories that can you know be talked about and used to really boost this tournament and boost a spotlight on it? Because as it goes, I think it's going to be great. Look, so far, it hasn't been fantastic. I mean, look, <laughs> New Zealand played against Norway. Norway were horrible. New Zealand had never won a game in the World Cup. They needed to get on the board. They scored. They played well. But as with Australia, once both New Zealand and Australia had a goal lead, I mean, you could tell how nervous they were to not mess it up. And that's totally understandable. The pressure is huge. Uh, I hadn't mentioned yet, Australia, Sam Kerr is one of the best players in the world. She's a leading goal scorer, top goal scorer at Chelsea. Fantastic player, difference maker unavailable for their first game and it and their second one as well. But if they win their second game, then they get to the uh, round of 16, and she doesn't even, do, even need to worry about playing until then. So, you know, hopefully Australia can do that and we can see some Sam Kerr because she is kind of one of the main megastars of this World Cup and got injured right before uh, the tournament started. Got, a, I guess, a calf injury, and, and muscle injuries aren't good because you they take time. Um, you can't just sort of walk it off. So, you know, one nil for Australia, one nil for New Zealand. Uh, as I said about Switzerland, they won two nil against the Philippines, which was kind of fun to watch. But also, Switzerland are not a team that scores goals very, very well. Nigeria versus Canada was very interesting. Christine Sinclair had the opportunity to, and she will have more, but she had the opportunity to be the only player ever, men's or women's, to score in six World Cups. Six. She's been around since she was, I think, 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. She's 40. Um, She had a penalty saved uh, by Nigerian goalkeeper Chiamaka Nadozi. And uh, great save, actually. Not a bad penalty from Christine Sinclair. But that that was an interesting game. I think the most interesting uh, in that Group B was between Australia and Republic of Ireland and also and especially between Nigeria and Canada. Some of the tackles, they got you a little bit worried. And there was a red card in the Nigeria against Canada game, one of the Nigerian players. But there could have been 
twice as many yellow cards. And I thought the referee really let things go. And so that's something that's a little concerning, seeing some games maybe get a little bit out of hand because refs don't want to really just give out cards when they really should. And uh, from the very beginning of that match, the the ref let a lot go, which culminated in uh, some pretty bad tackles late in the game that, you know, I think from both teams. I think Quinn also had one where she, uh, Quinn could have been sent off as well. So, but really interesting game. Uh, the only problem was after all those matches, we barely had any goals, right? Um, and then Spain were able to show up and and light things up. But tonight, as it is Friday, July twenty first, the United States will kick off. They start at seven p.m. against Vietnam. And then through the night, we'll get more games. I think today is officially the four-game day. Let me check my schedule real quick. Yep. This is the one day of the group stage of the whole tournament, actually, where there are four separate games at four separate time slots. Not four separate games simultaneously kicked off because that's what the third match day will be, simultaneous kickoffs. But this is going to be the one where it's back-to-back-to-back-to-back games. USA versus Vietnam, Zambia versus Japan. That should be very interesting. Look out for Barbara Banda from Zambia. She is a baller. And Japan, they're going to be very interesting to see because they're always a good, good team. Can they get back sort of in that top echelon of teams and and prove that, um, you know, their 2011 win wasn't just a a home, uh, sort of a road to a fairy tale at home? And also, England will play Haiti tonight. I'm really not sure. This could this could be quite the one-sided contest. And then Denmark-China, not a whole lot uh, that I can expect from that. I'm a big fan of Pernilla Harder. She was a Chelsea player for a good, mo- good while. She just left this summer. But uh, Denmark have a decent side, so it would be interesting to see what they do. And China, China used to be one of the real big teams in this in this competition. They, were, they finished fourth in 95. They finished second in 99. And we just haven't really seen them... Uh, go very far since. So it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I'll ke- I'll be keeping up with this Women's World Cup. We should we will be getting some more podcast episodes, just purely audio like this. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about all of you campers. We're going to be doing some uh, interviews with some people. I'll bring some collab guests on. We'll you know we'll we'll talk about this Women's World Cup, but also we will talk about some more things leading up to the uh, men's European season as it comes. My goodness, are things happening, and I think it's going to be really fun. All right. It's been really nice to uh, just go over this World Cup. This is going to be it's going to be a fun month. I'm going to sleep very strangely. I'm going to be a little woozy. And then once it's over, my fall season with the high school team and uh, all, all the young, te- young players I coach begins – but this is just a really exciting event. You never have you have to always remember that the World Cup only comes really every four years. I know that because there's the men's and the women's. But this is a big marker. It's a big event. And uh, I'm really just looking forward to it. Really looking forward to enjoying the football. And uh, hopefully just, you know, more interesting things happen. We'll get more into uh, who we think will win, actually, really, when the uh, knockout rounds get going and everything. But if you are looking for any of my content... On this, it's not just this audio. It's not just here on the podcast. Go to Instagram. Go to YouTube. Campfire Football. I'm going to be putting out videos pretty much daily on this, and also keeping up with something else that is happening: the League's Cup. That's right. All the MLS teams, all the League IMX teams, all put together in this wild tournament. I'm going to make a video about that too, and uh, it's starting tonight. I think 
I think just maybe Messi might play for Inter-Miami against Cruz Azul tonight. That would be absolutely incredible. All right, thanks for stopping by. This is Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. Much love. Talk to you soon.